I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Valerie. She survived a plane crash. You heard that right? A plane crash. Let's talk about it. There has been a number of times on this podcast where we have spoken to folks from across Canada, down into the United States, mainly around North America, about really traumatic events, specifically dealing with accidents, and oftentimes, actually I think every single time, uh, those accidents occurred in cars. Now we did at one point speak to a a woman who had an airplane-related I guess adjacent accident where her parachute didn't open, and that and that that was that was kind of mind boggling. Um, uh, but today we're gonna we're gonna check a box. We're gonna tick something off the the firsts for sick boy list. We are speaking to someone who has survived a plane crash, which is. I think probably like there's, I, I would say I have no idea that, but I'm just going to tr- throw it out there. I would say like 50% of the people that are listening to this heard me just say that. I've never and been, are, and uh, haven't uh, been ever been in a plane crash before. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, I, I, uh, no, I think the, the, that percentage is much higher, but I would say there's, there's at least 50% of the people that heard me say that and are thinking, I'm going to turn this podcast off right now because my nerves can't handle that conversation. Um, I know, I know Bridie would have a hard time with it. I hope my um, brother's not listening right now. Yeah. Dennis might also have a bit of a hard time with it. Um, and then there's probably the other 50%, which are, uh, uh, just morbid, morbid humans and are, are just like frothing at the mouth to hear the details. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm excited to sit down with our guest today, Valerie Lord. Uh, first of all, congratulations. You survived a plane crash. That. Thank you. I just wanted I just want to start by asking like Jerry you you prefaced this by saying there are 50% of the people are frothing at the mouth to hear this story. I'm just wondering Valerie like was was it a super traumatic experience for you just so that I know right away like are we dealing with like an immense amount of trauma that like the 50% of people who are frothing at the mouth mouth are they're assholes for being like that? No. I mean, was it traumatic? Yes. Absolutely. It was the most dramatic event I have ever had happen to me. It also happened 15 years ago. I also talk about it a lot. And so to me, it's not a traumatic event to talk about anymore. I mean, I obviously don't want to upset any listeners. So if there's a disclaimer, I'm all for it. I am a lawyer. (laughs) Um, But the story has a happy ending. So is it it one of those things? That's good. (laughs) Is it one of those things where, you know, there's, I've had a, I've had a handful of things in my life that are, that are, that, you know, in the moment were, you know, totally jaw dropping and intense and hardcore and had a, and had an effect on it and were traumatic and in different ways. But I tend to look back on all those things and go and, and, you know, and have like an appreciation for them um, in some, in some way, like whether it's a lesson that I learned about myself or whatever. Um, is it, is it something like that? Like for you, did you, did you, do you look back on that and, and, and think like, holy shit, I was in a plane crash, something that very few people, uh, you know, relative to the population have, have experienced come through it on the other side. Is there like a, is there a gratitude for having gone through it? Or is it something that you just wish had never happened in the first place? No, I mean, it's like such an integral part of who I am now, especially 
where it has led me in my career that like, I just can't picture my life without this thing happening to me. I didn't Mm -hmm. choose it. And I obviously would never wish anyone to go through that, but in life, like you don't have control over what happens to you. And so this kind of shit does happen to people. And so I can't say that I'm like grateful for it, but at the Mm -hmm. same time, like it's just really hard to picture who I would have become without that experience. Yeah. I well, I'm really surprised that you answered that question that way because when Taylor was asking that I was like, ah, like I don't know, like Taylor, I know some of the experiences you've been through and I'm like, yeah, I can see how you took something positive away from that, but I was imagining Valerie that like being in a plane crash it's just like, oh fuck no, I didn't want to go through that. That's that's crazy. And I know I know what you're getting at Taylor, but I'm really surprised at yeah, your well, answer Valerie and I'm I'm excited to unpack that because it wasn't what I was expecting. Well, why, why don't we why don't we get into it? I mean, this is, so you said, uh, Valerie, this happened uh, a while back. Um, you were you were 15 years old when this when this went down, correct? Yeah. So oh, I wow. had just uh, graduated grade nine, heading into grade ten, um, and I had gone on a student exchange that summer. So I had enrolled into a program where I was going to spend a month in France with a host family, and then the oh. plan was to come back with uh, 30 French students for them to then spend a month with us. So I, so we were all paired up. So there was 30 Canadian students and 30 French students. I thought, and, for a second there, I thought it was just you and then 30 <laughs> French students. And I was like, wow, that's a bit off the numbers there. This makes more sense. Thank you. I was the only one who signed up. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so I had spent a month with my host family, um, had an amazing time. It was my first time in France, my first trip, you know, alone without my parents. Uh, so we were all heading back. I was very excited to obviously be coming home after being away for a month. And I was really, uh, looking forward to showing Maureen, my, my student exchange partner, uh, my family to introduce her to Toronto and to show her around, uh, for, for the month. That's what, that's what had been planned. Hmm. Uh, so it, it's it's really um, heartwarming for me to hear that you were on your way home because I was just imagining how much of a bummer it would be to get in a plane crash when you're on your way to a fun destination. But the fact that you're on your way home is makes it, it just so yeah, much. Just a, it's just so, so much better. So much better. So much better. Such for a Marine, crash experience that fucking sucks. For Marine, it was like so much. I'm not going to say so much work, but but it really was right. Um, especially, you know, the first thing, and I'm sure we'll get into this when we want the story, but like, as I'm running out of the plane, like the only thing that's on my mind is like, I want my mom. That's just like the primal instinct Mm -hmm. that, that came to me. I was like, I need my mom. And I got to have my parents fairly soon afterwards. And she had to wait a couple of days for her dad to Mm. come over, um, so, yeah, so, not quite the same experience for her. Mm-hmm. So when you were on the plane, um, the plane takes off. At what point do you realize that, like, things are, are going wrong? Or is it a fairly normal flight for most of the way? It's a, it's a normal flight from Paris all the way to uh, Toronto. Uh, so it happened on August 2nd. And when we – it's a six-hour flight. So the first, you know, five and a half hours are completely normal. And when we reached Pearson, we were told that we were going to start circling the airport because there was some bad weather. You know, you know, Toronto, I don't know. Actually, you guys might not know Toronto in August, but like we get some really, really bad thunderstorms here. So Mm -hmm. kind of a typical August thunderstorm uh, happening. So we spent about half an hour circling the airport, burning off fuel and basically like waiting to get the clear off uh, to start landing. And so all of that went ahead uh, without any issues. The plane started to make its descent. The plane touched down on the runway. And initially, there wasn't really anything wrong. Like, I I even remember people clapping 
And to this day, like, I know people have feelings about people clapping when we land, but like, I get particularly triggered when people start clapping before the plane has stopped. I'm like, no, you do not know (laughs) (laughs) if this is clap worthy yet. Only (laughs) when it pulls up to the gate, which is why they tell you, keep that fucking seatbelt on. And don't stand up until we make a full stop at the gate. Exactly, exactly. So, so yeah. So we thought everything was okay, but it was it was very shortly afterwards that the plane just started like violently shaking up and down to the point that yeah, if you were one of those people that decides not to wear your seatbelt, you would have been flown right out of your seat. Whoa! And this is on the runway, so or before you landed. So what ended up happening to to the plane? was that it started its descent and initially touched down halfway down the runway. And then it didn't have enough time to land before the runway ended. And so the violent up and down was actually us going down into the ravine that was after the runway. So we were no longer on pavement. We were no longer on the runway. We were on grass and then went down into this ravine at the end. Holy not into like, water like, it's just kind of like a dip sure okay i got you yeah and yeah. like when you land like when planes i mean it is I, every flight is obviously different and uh but you know having flown like hundreds of times in my life when you land it is always crazy the the intensity of the braking like how fast you're actually traveling when you mm when you touch down and then they, you know, they, they put the, they pop the, pop, flaps. Pop the flaps up. And I mean, like, you know, depending on the flight and like, depending on the size of the plane, you know, you, sometimes you just like, you're like lurched forward when they mm-hmm. hit that. Um, I can't imagine. I mean, just like the sheer speed that planes travel on the runway. I mean, I can't imagine, I can't imagine what that would be like to, to, have it start going off of the, like, what is, what is going when that, when it starts shaking? I mean, I've been on flights as well where like there's turbulence and I mean, there's people, there are people that are, that are not okay. And, 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 you know, and you know, some, you know, fear of flying or whatever anxiety, I mean, tons of different reasons for that. But, um, what is like, is it just total fight or flight? Is it, complete instinct reaction you know or is there any thoughts like moments that you recall specifically from when everything started to happen um so it happens both incredibly slowly and incredibly fast Mm. so i remember feeling us going up and down i remember during that part looking diagonally one of the friends that i had made who was a canadian a student also coming back with her French partner, mm-hmm. both of us looking at each other being like, we know something is wrong, but we don't know what. And the plane hasn't stopped moving yet. So there isn't really any more information that our brains can start processing other than this isn't normal. When, when you then, say up and down there, do you mean, do you mean like, like, like you haven't technically touched down and there's like, there's like a drop in, or are you talking about the actual sort of like, oh fuck, we are we're off roading this fucking yeah plane yeah right like now. the like it was the plane was on the ground but it was making it its way smooth. it was yeah. leaving the paved smooth runway yeah, that it was right. supposed okay. to be on and it was traveling on dirt and Got then you. down yeah. into into this ravine so during that part the plane is still moving, you're, you're in movement, and you don't really have any other information. The plane obviously stops fairly soon after that. It doesn't travel for another 10 minutes like that, right? <laughs> and when the plane stopped, uh, they came on the overhead very shortly afterwards, telling us, you know, everything's okay, you're okay. And so that's when kind of like the adrenaline starts kicking in so I remember kind of being shaky like starting to be a little bit teary but again like I still don't I still don't know what happened I just know Mm. that it wasn't a normal landing and so I remember okay I'm being told everything's okay so you know I guess everything's okay let me start collecting you know I had a little purse in front of me let me start grabbing that 
And that's when I actually turned to my window and saw my window was orange and warm. And like, that's the moment where your brain goes, oh, holy shit, this plane is on fire. And that's when it goes into like complete chaos. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, we saw the footage. Like the footage <clears throat> is great. Like footage is crazy. I mean, it is. Engulfed. Yeah, I I think one of the things that like I I wanted I I wanted just like kind of put out there. It's like you hear, like I feel like I feel like it's hard for people to comprehend how fucking insane this is when you hear it. You know, when you hear it, it's like, oh, I I okay, the plane landed, but it but then it went into the grass and, you know, down a little hill. But, like, when you see the photos of this shit, like, here's the thing. When a plane doesn't land properly, you know, let's say a plane loses, like, one of its its landing gears, like, one set of tires. That's a huge, huge deal because the, 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 the fuel that fucking makes sure, makes sure that giant aircraft can get from let's say France to Toronto is so highly flammable. And if you land and you know, something ruptures and sparks hit that shit, it is like, if you see some like, like botched landings videos, it's really, really horrifying, you know? So I like, Jared, like, did you watch like a compilation video before, I, before we started I just, recording? I, look, I, I will say this. I have a really fucking weird fascination with, um, with, planes and landing and like i i actually watch i i i I love this is fucked i can't believe i'm saying i'm sorry for valerie but i but it's true i actually really love watching really gnarly plane landings there's there's a there's a series (laughs) of compilation videos i know i'm so so sorry i'm so sorry guys but no i know but it's it's mayday so you're not the only one like they make tv shows about this they're not the only one with this fascination oh it's fascinating and and like especially like really windy landings where like you see the plane literally like basically flying you know at 45 degrees pointing at 45 degrees while while moving forward like it super crazy stuff i watch it because it's like wow look at the skills that these pilots have developed over years to try to they're flying a fucking giant hunk of metal full of people through the air it's it's, it's fascinating anyway it, I mean, my, how does it my, even fly it's so yeah, heavy. How, how do we do <laughs> it but, but my point is like is is it, someone might hear this and go oh well it doesn't sound that intense like a plane landing and then kind of like skirting off the the runway but like you i what i i if you if you if you just take a moment and google um air france plane crash flight 358 and go to the Wikipedia page and just look at the image at the top of the Wikipedia page. Yeah, it's so intense. That's scary. It is like, it's I mean, very fire, man. Fire on a plane. I mean, there's, like you said, Jer, so much fuel. I mean, that is... Way a, worse than snakes on a fucking plane, I'll tell way you. Way worse <laughs> than snakes. Like, at least twice as bad. Dude, when you look at the pictures, it's like the whole plane it's is burnt. It's so, like so, a fire pit. So the you, end of a so fire you pit. See the, you see the fire. I mean... I mean, obvious things must have changed really quickly for the plane and the flight attendants and the pilots and everything pretty quickly Passions, once, yeah. once there was like, what, ha- what happens there once, once yeah. it's like apparent to everybody that there's f- fire. Fucking fire yeah. yeah. And again, like I was sitting towards the back of the plane. So I think the people at the front probably processed this information a little bit ahead of me because the damage to the front of the plane was obviously much more significant. Uh, but basically, as soon as I realized that the plane was on fire is when everyone in my section also realized it. And so we just started making our way towards the back. And I say started making our way like people were climbing over seats. Like it was yeah. very much a panic to. And that's when the like flight instinct really takes mm. over. Like your body is just like, get me out of here. So it um, wasn't like the like the video that they play for you. <laughs> At the beginning, of it wasn't like a really nice, a, orderly, a single like, file smiling at you, <laughs> following the lights on the floor <laughs> to the nearest no. exit. <laughs> yeah. How, how do you look at those videos now? <laughs> yeah. Like, what did you? What goes through your mind when you watch one of those videos and you're like, "This is not it." <laughs> I mean, the intent is there. You know, I have to yeah, commend yeah. the intent, and I have to say that the flight attendants are so well trained. Yeah. That they wasted zero time 
deploying the slides that needed to be deployed. And when we got to the back, there was one, one flight attendant at the top of the slide and another at the bottom. And I just remember being like pushed out of the slide and then pushed at the bottom so that they could get everyone mm-hmm. so out so quickly. Like the fact that everyone evacuated before that thing completely was engulfed in flame is like mm-hmm. the, the miracle of this whole thing, what, right? Yeah. Like, was there was there panic in in trying to um, in trying to evacuate the plane? Like were were people were people clamoring over seats were, yeah. or was it like everyone like just sort of mosh pitting down the aisle? I, I do remember people uh, climbing over the seats, uh, but I mean, I don't remember getting like trampled or anything. And then once we sure. were outside, um, so first of all, we get outside, it is pouring rain, like pouring rain. So the first thing it's you do be is good news for the fire, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, maybe. But you're you're already really disoriented, and then you had this added layer of like trying to figure out where you are. You're trying to run away from this thing as fast as possible because you're like, well, it's obviously going to blow up because that's also what happens in the movies. Mm-hmm. And because of where we that. had landed, we needed to make our way up. Like I remember these like huge boulders that we needed to climb in order to like get out of this. Like I say, it was this like ravine. Uh, and there people were being like very, very helpful. Like I remember having someone like take my hand and help me up these things that were like, you know, five meters tall. Um, so after, like once you're out of the plane, that's when people really start making sure that everyone is okay. Like our group leader who looking back now is like probably 20 years old, right? It was like a camp counselor supervising these 15 year olds. It's like, okay, Osef students you know with her clipboard like gather over here (laughs) Um, whoa it's such like i just i i what so the thing that i was the what the thing that really sticks out of my mind when i mentioned at the start that like you know we've been through traumatic i've been through some traumatic things brian was with me and the the most traumatic thing ever Airplane adjacent, actually. Airplane, also airplane oh, adjacent. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Brian and I were in an airport, and we we long story short, we found a, we we were in a in a Calgary airport super late at night, midnight. Nobody in the airport, like whatsoever. Um, and Brian and I found a guy who had overdosed. <clears throat> we later found out on heroin um, in the bathroom, and he was not breathing and on, and on the floor, um, dead. We thought we had to resuscitate him. Um, and anyway. It was crazy. Like I, the, 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 like the, sh- the, it is a fascinating thing when the, when, a, when you are going about regular expected life and all of a sudden, like <laughs> everything changes mm-hmm. in the most intense way. And you are called to action in some way. Uh, like, you know, like it's, Brian and I doing CPR, like you having to, you with this massive crowd of people needing to like not kill each other as you get out of the plane to try and all live Mm. and then help each other in, in sorting out this mess. And, you know, like this person who's leading your group, who is, you know, like you said, probably just this super young person who volunteered or is like, you know, summer job or like whatever doing this thing to, you know, what to have fun. And then all of a sudden you're ushering people out of a burning plane. And I don't know, there's just something about the, the craziness and how we are able to, as humans, just pivot in such a spectacular way to act. Like there's something very, very fascinating about how we can do that. And I mean, I, and I guess that makes sense. I mean, it's like why they make TV shows about this shit and why they make TV shows about, you know, crazy things that happen like 127 hours or mm. whatever. It's or like die the, hard. To, to me, it's like, it's like the, the innocence of life is lost. It's like, like you can, like you almost go through life in these moments where like you're at this like equilibrium or balance where things are just sort of like, life feels non-threatening and then all of a sudden in this heat of the moment where, cause like, it's almost like, I, or I guess the, my question for you, Valerie is, is like, did in that moment, are you forced to face your own mortality? Like, are you thinking like, holy fuck, I'm, I'm going to die or I could die in this moment. Um, it's a, it's a 
strange question because like, yes and no, like your mind and, and your body physically reacts as if a very, very imminent, imminent danger is there because it is right. But then almost immediately after that, like, you know, you're okay. And, and when you're out of the plane and you're away enough, you know, at that point that you're probably safe. So the imminent Mm -hmm. danger is like almost already gone. Mm -hmm. It's almost like later on that your brain kind of like catches up to Mm -hmm. the physical events Mm -hmm. that happen to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess and that's like, when you it, start thinking about your mortality a little bit more. But in the moment, you're just so focused on surviving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess it's I, also I, something that you were 15 at the time. I mean, like that's a very different mindset to be in than you know, yeah, an ad, uh, you know, full grown adult. I also think of it though in the sense that, like Taylor, when we were in the Calgary airport, like we, you know, our lives weren't threatened, but like being that close to death mm-hmm. yeah, in, in, in a way is like reminds you of the impermanence of life and yeah and so you know i i know that and when we were thrown back into normality which was once all of the officers were like okay now you can go catch your flight now yeah and we were yeah. like whoa we have to go get on a plane and be normal people now yeah because yeah. that's over yeah <laughs> yeah that was the hardest part is like going mm. back to school in september and starting grade 10 and like think back to what your problems were in grade 10 mm-hmm. right yeah. like <laughs> i didn't get invited to this party or i got in trouble yeah. for my uniform like taylor's all of a sudden, polo shirt couldn't pop the collar high enough exactly. <laughs> it wasn't starchy enough to stay <laughs> up <laughs> it was too flappy I, I never pop collars man i could yeah. never pull it off i i, I guess what, one, th- one thing that we we should say just for people who are curious there were there were 309 passengers and crew on the flight um all of whom did survive and um and the the flight has been the the accident itself has been described as the the Toronto miracle or the the miracle of runway 24L um how did like how does how does that how did that sit with you did did you have any feelings about like the the name that that just like kind of like the nickname that the crash took, like the miracle of Toronto. <laughs> if that seems weird to me, like I, I guess it's a miracle that no one died for sure. But yeah. to call it like the Toronto miracle, I'm like, God, is that is that a? It I like mean, a maybe thing. at the time, like that was the best media headline that could, <laughs> sure, sure. That it could come up with. I mean, it it, it is a miracle that everyone yeah. survived for sure. Um, but I don't I don't remember being particularly hung up on yeah. on that tagline i remember being we were told pretty sure so so after we finally you know get out of the plane they they brought greyhound buses to pick us up and they brought us to an empty terminal and so we we had to hang out in this terminal for a number of hours while they made sure that people who did because there were some very serious injuries right like some of the slides didn't deploy and people had to jump like eight oh my feet. God. And so like very broken, like serious broken limbs. There was, there was infants on the, on the plane who needed to be checked for smoke inhalation. Um, So there were some very, very serious injuries. Um, Mm. It just so happened that us like young, resilient folks were at the back and and we were okay. So when we were at the terminal, we were finally told that everyone was okay and accounted for. So any panic that I may have felt about like, oh my God, I'm okay. But like, did anyone else? Did anyone else die? Like subsided very quickly. The flip side mm. of that is that my parents find out about the crash because they're sitting at the bar of the airport waiting for my flight and oh, they fuck. see my flight on fire on the news. And they're oh, like, that our daughter and her exchange student are wow. dead. Holy like that's their shit. point. So like the like mortality thing fuck. has like, it has like these different aspects. And like, to me, the like, the part that still like gets me today, especially as I get older is like how much, how my parents felt, right? Because I knew I was okay. They didn't mm-hmm. know that yet. Mm-hmm. So to and me, you didn't like, have a cell phone too. So you couldn't like, you know, you no. can't call them right away and tell them. Yeah. But the, the, the biggest question 
that I have is like I'm just imagining the logistical nightmare of getting everybody through customs, right? Because the flight was coming through France, so like it's not like you just send them off. Like yeah, you gotta, that's the, that's the you gotta that's stamp the their passports, issue. right? Like it's how did they so, do that? It's so funny you say that because you know you're you're sitting in this terminal with a bunch of other 14, 15 year olds, and once you know you're okay we literally just started making jokes like because that's the only coping mechanism we have right and one of the jokes was like what do you mean we have to go through customs like (laughs) our plane just crashed can't we just kind of like get a pass my luggage because it's burnt down (laughs) i I mean like what what, damn all that cocaine that i was bringing in is burnt (laughs) Uh, what were they like when they uh, at customs like you know because i mean i i've i've gone through customs fucking thousands of times and every single time i'm like you guys could have been could have been nicer you know like <laughs> like was, were they like i am so sorry you just went through a fucking plane crash come on in or was it was it like i i, I honestly reason, i don't even i don't even remember if it, right. if we passed through like individually or if they just did a group like you know what you guys Get are you guys are yeah. good to go y'all are good you don't have any um, luggage so <laughs> Well, I was lucky enough to, like, grab this one bag that I had, which, like, coincidentally was a bag that I had bought there. It said Lucky Girl on it with a Fort Leaf Clover, and it's, like, the only thing that I have. Good thing you fucking grabbed that. And it had my passport in it, so if (laughs) I had been questioned. Oh, right. People might not even have had their passports. That's That's crazy. I was yeah. I was thinking that it reminds me of when I was in grade three. I had this traumatic experience where uh, there was a, a fire drill, and uh, I brought my pencil case outside, and I got made fun of by like a bunch of whole group of students. Who were like, "Look at this guy! It was a fire drill, and he brought his pencil case." And I was like, "Why? Why not? I could just—it was on my desk. I, I could just, you just bring wish it with that me." You were like, an adult in that moment, and you could just shame that intellectual. <laughs> stupidity of that. I wish, yeah, but it, but it, it cut deep and I was like, why why did I bring it outside? Like am I attached to these little crayons? But, you know, I I feel like it was it was justifiable because it was right there and easy for me to get. Anyway, this yeah. isn't a therapy yeah, session great. Thanks for, for me. That, but, Brian. Yeah. But um, I'll, I'll have to bring it up like with therapy, my therapist. Right, I take yeah. everything is, yeah. very seriously now, I have to say, and I don't appreciate <laughs> when that I am not told that it's a drill because I take these things very seriously. No shit. Uh, yeah, so well, when you I mean, when you think about like the lasting impact of it, it's like it's actually more so those things that yeah. have a daily impact and like driving, like car anxiety. Um, yeah, is definitely yeah, something I, that I struggle with too. So that yeah, that's something that I definitely want to like sort of dive into with you is you know so you come out of this um, relatively physically unscathed. Um, but mentally, um, I can only imagine that something as, uh, as suddenly traumatic as that, uh, has, has a pretty lasting effect. So, you know, um, I mean, at the time, like, was there, was there any discussion with your parents or, or, or even like, you know, you're, you're in, you're in high school. So like any discussion with like social workers or anything like that about about taking care of your mental health after going through something so so harrowing or 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 was it just something that you sort of went through and then and then over time started to notice like oh fuck this has affected me in all these all these interesting little ways that I that I would probably never have anticipated Yeah. I mean, initially the first concern is obviously like making sure you're physically okay. So you go to your family doctor, there's obviously some like whiplash associated with just like the severity of the, of the landing. And then once you're physically okay, then like, that's sort of what you're grateful for. And that's the only thing that you really focus on for a really long time. And I think it took a couple years, if not more, as I like, got older and matured a little bit to start like noticing the impact. Obviously like I, I had a had and still have a very good relationship with my parents. And so if I was living with them and they started to see me, you know, exhibit behavior that was concerning, I'm sure that they would have flagged it obviously. Um, But yeah, I I would say it wasn't until probably like after I, I remember struggling to relate to my peers. Like that's really the, the, the main feature in high school that I remember 
just like getting annoyed at the like petty stuff that people were um, choosing to focus their time on, always feeling like I was like, like just a little bit too mature for it. Not mature, but just like, like I just, I just couldn't relate. I couldn't relate because to me, there's stuff that like, I didn't think they were that important just given Mm. what I had been through. Like I was just trying to focus on other things. Was that sub subconscious or was that conscious? Were you thinking like, oh, I've been through a plane accident. I can't believe that they're, they, they care so much about that. Or was it more uh, underneath that, I guess? Um, no, I, I like, I remember just being kind of like angry that, that people would just like take for granted everyday, mm-hmm. everyday things and just like didn't have an appreciation for, for what they had because like I knew how easy it was to potentially lose that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're like, you are, you're forced to, when you go through something, when you go through something as intense as that, you grow up, you're forced to grow up um, and evolve and mature in a way that like, you know, everyone else is around. I mean, like think about how we view now sitting where we are adults. Um, I don't know how old you are Valley, but we're all like around 30 ish. Um, and looking at like high school students, like how silly it, everything that they're, I mean, it's not silly. It's silly to us. It's not silly for them because that's where they are in their life. And, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's all relative, but, and, and you can't really explain very well to them that what they are going through and what is important to them or a lot of things that are important to them is like, Hey, this is all trivial. And this is like what you think is going to end your entire world. Like will ultimately be a grain of sand on the beach of your life. And, and you know, it's, but you, but you can't explain that to somebody. Mm. And so you're sort of like, you're forced now. I mean, we have the pleasure of like, not, we don't hang out with, I don't hang out with high school students, <laughs> but, but, but Brian, you know, does. <laughs> Brian does, I but, do, yeah. um, but, uh, but you know, you're, you're 15, <laughs> 16, 17, and you're at this, you know, you've grown up in this way that, you know, has been forced upon you by the experience of, of what you went through. And, and you're surrounded <laughs> by people who do not, who like that mortality. I mean, man, what a huge question. I mean, we've spent five years talking about mortality on That's this, fun. on this podcast. And, you know, like, at my, like we're probably just like a touch closer to understanding it than we were on, on the day we started it. And, um, and, you know, that's just like, that's something that high school students are just not by and large are not going through or thinking about. And now all of a sudden you're like, man, I, 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 I've seen. It's and funny because uh, I was hardcore. I was talking to my friend Nathan last night, and he was telling me about his high school girl problems, and and in my head I was like, oh man, dude, just like <laughs> you'll you'll grow up and you'll realize that there are there are bigger problems out there than the ones that you're having now. But at, now I realize that all I have to do is put him through a super traumatic experience right. that he matures <laughs> right. and then no longer cares about this is what we've the learned. insignificantness of those problems. Right? I'm really glad is... I could contribute to Nathan's yeah. life yeah. in yeah. such a meaningful my, way. <laughs> yeah. My favorite part of that is that we, me and Taylor said that Brian hangs out with the high school kids and there were people listening to this that are like, why do those guys always pick on Brian? And then Brian's like, yeah, so anyway, I was hanging out with my high school friend last night. <laughs> <laughs> I used to coach paddling and okay, they were athletes in my group and I'm friends with them now because I really like them. They're nice. They're nice kids. Think of your favorite one hit wonder or that overpriced toy. Your parents would never let you have or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now, what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I would like to kind of shift gears here and... And dive into something that uh, I think would be kind of interesting to talk to you about, Valerie, which is the the sort of um, the legal side and and lawsuit side of things. So, 
So you you are uh, currently a lawyer, right? You you ended up you 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 graduated high school and you went on to become a lawyer. Uh, congratulations! I sure, I sure really did. I was able to successfully complete high school and university, and I now am a class action lawyer at Howie Saxon Henry here in Toronto, and I now work for the partner who was uh, one of the lead lawyers on the class action lawsuit related to the plane crash. Uh, wow. What are the chances of that? Yeah. yeah. Was did there you, any, did you shoot for that or what? Listen like... guys, like I can't tell you how these things happen to me. They just do. <laughs> so I was in law school and you have to apply for what's called articling. So articling is basically like your internship after mm. you graduate high school. So I had obviously gone to law school partially because this plane crash happened to me and I had been involved in this class action and I really liked that the process allowed me to get answers to what happened to me because that was something that was really important. I just wanted to know why this happened and and make sure that I contributed to it not happening again because we were super lucky this time, but who knows what might happen again, right? Mm. So... um. I had gone to law school and I had submitted my applications for an articling position and I had applied to this firm and uh, I was in the interview with them and I had told them, they didn't know about this before. Like when they chose to interview me, they had no idea about my story, sure. but it's something that I brought up obviously in my interview, you know, part of the reason why I want to go into litigation is because I was in this plane crash and they go, Oh, Paul Miller was responsible for that case. Do you want me to bring him in? And I was floored because my parents, Whoa. because I was a minor, my parents had been the ones talking to the lawyers and That's... the law firms had changed names in the seven years or the oh. 10 years or so since. So Paul Miller comes in and he goes, you were in the plane crash. Like, wasn't that five years ago? And like, without missing a beat, I was like, um, no, it was 10 years ago, Paul. And automatically <laughs> made my boss feel like 20 times older than I'm sure he wanted mm-hmm. to feel that day. <laughs> And uh, and I got hired. And so wow. I've been working with Paul Miller now for uh, five years. And wow. we work exclusively in class action. We do aviation cases and, and other cases involving, you know, defective medical products. Um, so it's such a like a full circle that story for me. That is crazy. That is like... I don't know if serendipitous is the right word. I think I guess it is. I, like, it sounds like a miracle to me. Yeah. It's the miracle of Toronto. Miracle of Toronto. It truly is. It this is the miracle of Toronto. <laughs> that is that is super super interesting. And like I'm, I mean, it totally. I mean, it makes a lot of sense that you uh, that you know you you saw the process. I I'm really I uh, that really stuck with me what you said there about class action um, class action lawsuits and how they ha- allow people to get answers and. Um, what is a class action lawsuit? Can you, can you unpack that? Cause I, like, sure. I hear, I hear the, I hear you say that and I'm like, oh, right. Uh, I know what that is. And then I think <laughs> about it and I go, do I re- like, how do I, how much do I really know? Though? Like, like people, it, people it, go, oh yeah, I know class actions. I got a $20 gift card from Loblaws because yeah, exactly. of yeah, something yes. about right. bread. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I, I have a feeling it's trying I, to avoid a class action. I think. Yeah, yeah. I have a feeling it's yeah. uh, much more than that. Uh, so, I mean, class action is is a fancy way of saying it's a lawsuit involving many people against right. one wrongdoer, right? Mm. Um, class actions are a creature of law, so every province actually enacts a law that says how the class actions in that province should uh, go forward. But mm. at its fundamental, class actions were created by our governments to do three things. To provide access to justice for a large group of people, to provide judicial economy. So what that means is uh, to make sure that not, you know, 100 people aren't bringing individual lawsuits against one common defendant, although that is something that we do, but in another context. Uh, and then the third part of uh, the reasons why governments want to encourage class actions is for behavior modification. So to make sure that behaviors mm. that uh, should not be perpetrated by by defendants um, are are prosecuted appropriately in the in the context of the civil. So it's not a criminal system. It really is a civil uh, system for compensation. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And yeah. so in the case of the of the plane crash. Um, 
I guess like how does that how does that work? Like, is there you know was it was it that young woman who was like flagging everyone around like the leader of the day that you know that that commandeered everyone and then a couple of days later she's like I you know what I'm also gonna lead the group to file a <laughs> class action lawsuit or like how does who's who's who steps so, up to like make that happen? So it can be it can be a number of people in a class action. Those people are called representative plaintiffs, and so they are usually people who uh, approach law firms like 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 ours, and say, hey, this thing happened to me. I think that I'm not the only one who went through this. So in aviation cases, it's it's a little bit easier to, to know who your class members are, right? There's going to be a list of who the passengers are. But in other cases, people might not even know that they've been affected or, or right. that their rights have been breached. Um, so it usually takes one person to approach a law firm and say, hey, this happened to me. I have information. What do you guys think? And we as lawyers... Uh, review the case we do a ton of research on it and we go yeah we actually think that this this case has a shot so that representative plaintiff uh is brought before the court so so we have to bring it's called a motion but it's basically we go to the court and we say hey court we have this case uh you know this is our proposed representative plaintiff we think that they'll represent the class and the representative plaintiff has to represent the interests of the class not just their own and then the court through the legal test that's established by the government basically says, yep, this is a case that can go forward as a class action or no, this is a case that doesn't quite meet the test. And then that doesn't mean that the case is done. It just means that it can't go as a class action. It can still go as an individual um, action. In the, in the case of uh, flight 358, was that, was that a scenario where it's like, okay, we have the list of the passengers and the crew, like did all, 309 or however many people were on the flight, like go, yep, sign me up. Like I'll, I'll, I'll show up for that. I'll be a part of this process. Yeah. I mean, there's the, the great thing about class actions is that once you have a representative plaintiff that's agreed to be that representative plaintiff, it really, they are the ones with the most heavy burden to bring the case forward. So they're the ones that are in touch with the lawyers. They're the ones that are, giving them instructions and it allows the class members to benefit from from all that work without necessarily having to, you know, take the time off of work to meet with the lawyers or to have yeah. that additional stress because some people really like that would have been way too much for them, right? They're still entitled to compensation, but class actions uh, that's the beauty of it, right? Is that you can be very involved if you want, if you want to be a representative plaintiff or you can just focus on yourself, focus on getting better, and then still benefit from from the proceeds of the class at the end. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, this happens in, like, medical cases, like, so often, Jer. I mean, there are, like, yeah. you know, whether it's, I mean, the opioid, like, the, the, the opioid um, crisis in the U, I mean, that's everywhere, but in the U.S., I mean, like, the huge companies and something that's, like, you know, adjacent to the podcast and what we do, I mean, like, huge I mean, I actually, we actually represent... Um, the governments in that case. So I'm, I'm actually quite familiar with it. Yeah, uh, like, so yeah, so it's very similar actions that are being brought here. Uh, well, you, you'd mentioned earlier that you guys also handle, so you do aviation, but you also do uh, medical, did you say medical malpractice or what, what did you, what did you say? I, I, I yeah, caught so, a glimpse of it and then. So Howie Saxon Henry is uh, a traditional sort of personal injury law firm. We've been doing personal injury law for over 20 years here in Toronto, but we do, represent clients across Canada and like we George have a variety. The Hammer Shapiro, right? Jim, <laughs> Jim the Hammer Shapiro. Do you have cool commercials too, uh, yeah, like yeah, that or yeah. good billboards? We, uh, we, we don't, I mean, we do for some <laughs> cases for like for our hernia mesh cases, for example, but so our firm does do medical malpractice, but my practice group specifically uh, focuses more on the class action mass tort work, which does involve like defective uh, medical mm. products. Um, pharmaceutical cases basically anytime people have been seriously injured as a result of someone else's wrongdoing we are there and we are on like their mm. side right uh, I've, I'm, had I'm, a, I've had a total i i had a personal injury uh i had a personal injury case i got hit by a car riding my bike and and i like having gone through that experience like my perception of my perception of like lawyers in general and um, and 
like the role that a law firm and a lawyer can play in like, I don't know. I, I don't know what it was before, but maybe it's, I don't know whether it's TV or something, but like, I feel like I, I feel like lawyers and lawsuits were largely misrepresented to me in pop culture. And then having gone through the experience, I was like, man, I could not be more grateful that for the work that was done for me and like the stress that was relieved from me because there's somebody who has spent so much time educating themselves on knowing this and I could never handle this. And like, and I, I'm so happy that you, that you're saying this right now because you're right. Like the media has portrayed, um, my type of law as something that it's completely not right. And if I could like do a PR rebrand of it, it's like, to me, fundamentally, it's social justice law, Mm. right? It's Mm. like making sure that everyday Canadians know their rights Mm. and have access to help when they need it the most so that they can focus like, like you, Taylor, when you got into your accident, like your focus shouldn't be these like insurance claim forms and, you know, figuring out what's important to keep. Like Mm -hmm. your number one priority should be to get better because Mm -hmm. I'm not a doctor. Like, Mm -hmm. even though I'm, I'm heavily involved, obviously. And I know a lot about like the, the medical treatment that my clients receive, like I can't help them with that. They need to focus on their health and on working on their treatment providers to get their lives back Mm -hmm. and let Mm -hmm. me worry about Mm -hmm. the rest. It, it it's it's interesting that you say that because it's interesting that you say you're not a doctor and we're taught but like the the experience that Taylor's talking about is it's therapeutic you know and going to- through that absolutely. and 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 so I'm I'm curious Valerie if like your intimate experience with being in a plane crash yourself and working you know sometimes in in aviation class actions like have you had any experiences where you've been speaking with clients and and your story is able to connect you to their experience in a more intimate way? Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely, you know, again, one of the reasons why I say like, I don't, I'm kind of glad this thing happened to me because if it was going to happen, like it was going to happen is because it's given me just like a tremendous amount of um, compassion and understanding for what my clients are going through. Um, And I can really relate to them, even though, sometimes what they've gone through is actually like 10 times worse than, Mm -hmm. than my Mm -hmm. plane crash. It it puts us on, on a human level. And that's like something that I really try and practice. Like it's, it's easy to get lost in the law. Sometimes you like kind of nerd out and like go down these roads, but working Mm. in, in the field that I'm in, like, I just always remember that it's, we're too human. Mm. Um, and the human experience is, is what connects us. And I think that really resonates with my clients. It's so so interesting that, that you put it that way. And, and it's totally shifted my perspective of, of lawyers too, because I never would have used the word empathetic to describe a lawyer before, (laughs) but now I'm thinking about how important it is in the process. And it reminds me of a conversation that we had with our friend, Jeremy, who's, uh, a funeral director and um, he's like, I think empathetic is like the number one best word to describe him. <clears throat> and it, it it also is in a way that I would think you would have to describe a funeral director. But like the way I think about this now has just totally shifted my perspective on on the role that having a lawyer to support you. And even Taylor, like I, I know your story and what you've been through and the role that your lawyer has played. But I didn't even think of it until now in the way that you know it is super therapeutic and important to be able to have that sort of legal counselor to to yeah. guide you through that process yeah. and allow you the space to totally and um, and heal. i've had and i've had i you know i i've i've had a couple of instances with with people in my life that have been in have been injured or whatever and and like see and them going man, my life right now sucks because I am talking to this insurance company and like what like just in, in like from the personal injury side specifically and and I'm like, man, like get a lo- get a lawyer. Like you are your life is a living he- like you are you you're not you're not doing your job right because you are so stressed out about 
having to have a conversation with somebody on the phone that you know knows way more about this shit than you do. And and it would just make your life so much easier if you got a little, like, mm. they are, it's, inv- it's invaluable. And I, and I like the way that you put that, Valerie, as social justice because there are, and especially when it comes to um, companies and, like, really big, really big entities that have lots of money, far more money than most individuals will ever have. And, uh, and being able to, and being able to group together and say, Hey, like we've, we've all, we've, we've all experienced this. And, um, and you know, like a lot of times, and again, maybe I'm this, I'm out of my depth here, but it, I feel like a lot of times it's not like people in class action lawsuits, a lot of times are getting like these massive, massive checks, but the, but the company gets held to account or the, the entity, whatever that is, gets held to account, which is the important thing because it furthers the, it furthers like whatever, I don't know what the deal was with the, that Air France flight, but whatever happens, they're trying, they're going to have to try their best to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Mm. And the, and a, and a class action lawsuit is what incentivizes <clears throat> them or part of what incentivizes them to make sure that that doesn't happen again so that there, there, there isn't another group of, you know, fucking fr- fr- exchange students. Yeah, I mean, plane. I hope so. That's definitely, like, one of the reasons why I went into this area of law, right, is because I, I just have very strong belief that um, our society has to hold, we just all have to be held accountable for our actions, right? Mm. And most of us go about our days and the, the actions that we take don't have an impact on other people. But if you are a big corporation or if you are a big aviation company, um, you're responsible for a lot of people's lives and a lot of people's safeties. And, and us as a general public have every right to hold you up to the highest standard reasonably, reasonably possible, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the, the expectation is not perfection. But when some when one of these companies does something that is below that standard, that falls below what is acceptable at law, there has to be consequences, both for behavior modification and for the very real impact that this has on everyday Canadian lives, right? Like, if someone gets injured from a medical product, for example, and they can't work anymore, they can't take care of their kids, like, who's going to pay for that? There's not enough health insurance. There's not enough income replacement benefit being provided by our government. And these companies have money to compensate that. And so, like, to me, that's an equal part. Uh, that's equally important is to make sure that people who have suffered these harms are given. Again, like Brian said, like, getting into a lawsuit is not winning the lottery, right? Mm. It's just about making sure that they have enough money to uh, take care of themselves for the rest mm. of their lives. Mm-hmm. This has been uh, such a lovely conversation, and I and I, you know, I, I think I think this last little piece that we've been on for the last like, you know, fifteen or twenty minutes or so has been is like really valuable, important information because I think that um, I think it's like we just said it's one of those things that a lot of people have a lot of misunderstandings mm-hmm. and and um, you know preconceived notions about, and so to get clarity on that is really nice. Uh, especially to get it from someone who's been on, you know, who's been on both sides, both yeah. ends of it. And uh, uh, I just want to say, firstly, I want to say huge shout out and thank you to Roseman, who actually referred you to us as a guest. Um, yeah, thank and, you, Roseman. Yeah, we're and we're always up for uh, guest referrals. It's always a we we trust we trust our listeners and our friends out there. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and this this did not disappoint, Valerie. Um, it's been a absolute pleasure to sit down and chat with you and to hear your story and to see all the good work that you are doing uh, today and um yeah thank you so much this is really fun thank you guys so much for having me it's honestly been my honor and uh it's been it's been so much fun thank you so much well that was wild we just talked to someone who survived a goddamn plane crash super wild yeah uh and uh we love hearing these wild wild stories and we love that you are listening to these wild stories with us and if you like wild stories 
that's all we got. <laughs> so uh, we'll be back uh, every Friday, every Monday with a bunch of wild shit. Uh, and you can listen to our wild shit wherever you find wild ass podcasts, <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CBC Listen app. Wilding out. <laughs> and uh you know more importantly if you'd like to reach out to us and and tell us a wild story mm-hmm. um that doesn't come in the form of like a story that you'd want to necessarily come on and be a guest but you just want to send us specifically some fan mail you can send us that fan mail to letters at sickboypodcast.com and jerry you know what i'm really what i've really been into lately i've been super into uh fan art so oh, yeah. Yeah. If if folks are interested in drawing some pictures and sending them over, you do not have to be an artist. You can just like if you want to draw I'd love to Valerie's see some... plane crash. Yeah, in stick figure form. <laughs> yeah. I want to draw see that. that draw that over. We're, we'll just start sharing that on Instagram or something if 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 you guys want to do that. I think that'd be really fun. So you can send that to letters at sickboypodcast.com. You know, we might have to make a fan art at sickboypodcast.com, but but uh, but you know, for now, you can just reach us at letters at sickboypodcast. Well, yeah, we'll keep it. We'll keep it simple. Keep it simple. And uh, you know, the other thing I want to say is that I'm really grateful for everybody who makes this show happen. And that is, uh, Jared. That's you. That would be yeah. Taylor. That would be myself and uh, Lauren Sankey, our co-producer. And we would be remiss if we did not thank Jeff Lonis, our manager, for making this podcast happen. And also take part for the theme music and also donovan the cpap meerkat morgan for the amazing sound design of this show well folks that is it for this week i'm brian i'm taylor (laughs) (laughs) i'm jeremy and this is sick work For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.